You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. I know it's a holiday weekend. Hope that you guys had a great time with your families and friends and wherever God had you. And really glad that you've actually prioritized gathering together, even on a holiday weekend. I know that God will honor that. And he is worthy of our time and attention uh, this morning. I see some new faces, so I'll introduce myself. My name is Justin. I serve as the associate pastor here at Midtown, and we are really glad that you're visiting here with us. Uh, We aim to be a church that welcomes anyone, no matter where they're at in their spiritual journey, and so we're really glad that you're here. We'd love to meet you afterward. And before I move on, I also want to draw attention to some special folks that are here. We've got the now newly married JT and Kristen Seelman. Yes. Good to see you guys. Back from their honeymoon. Excited for them. Um... We're going to continue this morning in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, we said, is this very famous sermon of Jesus that some would call it like the kingdom manifesto. It's like his pronouncing of what the kingdom is, looks like, what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. And so this morning, we're going to continue that series. And I know if you were with us on week one, Jake didn't really do the Sermon on the Mount, but he kind of set us up, helping us understand what the people expected when they thought about the kingdom of God, when Jesus would say that the kingdom of God has come near. What was their expectations? And did a great job setting up that. I'm going to touch a little bit on that. And then actually last week, Josh taught from the very first words of this famous Sermon of Jesus, where we know them as the Beatitudes. Blessed are these people. Blessed are these people. And he spoke about what kind of people actually inherit or invited into the kingdom of God. And it was what Josh called the upside-down kingdom. It's very different. It's talking about the upside-down kingdom, that this kingdom is comprised of, of the poor and the weak, the gentle, the meek, the hungry, the pure, the peacemakers, the persecuted, rather than the powerful and the rich, successful people that some people may have thought that would inherit the kingdom. And so today's sermon is actually going to take the very next words of Jesus, just after he talked about who inherits the kingdom, who are the blessed people, who is blessed. You remember the Beatitudes, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. But now he's going to turn the question to why? Why are these people blessed? And I'll say, well, simply, they're blessed to be a blessing. They're blessed to be a blessing. That's the main point for this morning, that blessed people bless people. That's what we're going to read as we talk about this passage of salt and light. And just to go back real briefly, when we talk about the kingdom of God, going back just to touch briefly on the stuff that Jake shared the first week, is the kingdom of God really started from the very first pronouncement of creation. In creation, it says that God created man and woman in his image, and he created them to co-labor with him, co-create, to be partners with God and helping expand God's rule and reign in the earth. But we know then a few chapters later that man falls. And then sin was brought into the world, and now we've got a battle between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God. And so what God did is he instituted a plan that was ultimately going to climax in the person of Jesus, but it was to, to call a new people to himself and use those people to confront evil and to bring freedom. And it started with Abraham, moved to Israel, and now we have a time that we're actually reading this passage that the, the kingdom was actually that they were expecting they were actually ruled because they had failed in living in the kingdom and they were now being ruled by another nation, the nation of Rome, who had taken them over. They were under the authority of Rome. They expected this Jesus to come and establish political power and rule with power. But instead, we learned from the first week that Jesus actually came not just to do things physically, but his reign was going to be a spiritual kingdom, a spiritual kingdom that he invited people into and established that. And now we get to be a part of it. And so here on the mountainside, Jesus is giving this brand new group of people 
his kingdom manifesto. He's teaching them how to live in the kingdom. That's what we're going to learn as we walk through. I think we've got 20 weeks of this in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, which is going to be fantastic. So this, this call that we're going to read about today is almost like a second rendering of Genesis 1. So Genesis 1, God created, and he created us in his image, and he said that we're going to go out and be co-laborers with him to establish his rule and reign. And this is almost like a second Genesis chapter 1, where Jesus on the mountainside is telling the people that are listening to him, you're going to co-reign with me. I'm going to send you out to be salt and light. And those are the metaphors that he uses. So we're going to talk today about what those metaphors mean and what they mean for us today. So let's start with uh, salt. Starts with verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown and trampled underfoot. Let's start with the very first word in this passage. (laughs) It's the word you. It begins by talking to these great crowds. If you go back to the very start of Matthew chapter 5, it says the crowds had gathered and then Jesus gathers to crowds to go to this mountainside and teach them. And to all of them, Jesus could confidently say, you, you're the salt of the earth. Because Jesus knew that created in the image of God, what they were really intended and meant to do was to be his image bearers and to work with God to establish his reign in the earth. When God made mankind, he made each of us with the ability to have a relationship with God and to be partnering with God to establish his rule in the earth. And so he looked confidently at everyone gathered and said, you, you are the salt of the earth. You are meant to be in relationship with God and you are meant in your relationship with God to partner with him to establish his reign and his rule in the world. It doesn't matter if you're a doctor or a maid, if you're poor or you're rich, educated, uneducated, extrovert or introvert, you are the salt of the earth, meaning you have an eternally meaningful life that you can co-labor with God and his work in the world. That's amazing news, isn't it? You are the salt of the earth, and we are the salt of the earth. Let's consider this idea of salt, why Jesus would use this analogy. Salt was used for many different things in that day. It was actually a really valuable commodity. Uh, In fact, some of the Roman soldiers would actually be paid in salt, and that's where you've heard that phrase, like, someone's not worth their salt. It was kind of a phrase like they're not worth getting paid because they didn't do a good job. But that's because they were paid in salt. But salt did at least a few things, particularly in that day. It preserved food and it provided uh, flavor. Those are the two things that we'll look at and consider what this metaphor might mean for us, given that those are the things that salt did. First, it preserved food. So naturally, back then they didn't have refrigerators, so you and I, we can go pick up some meat and we can freeze it and we can eat it whenever we want, right? But they didn't have refrigerators, and so what they did is they would add salt to meat and fish and they'd hang them so that they could preserve them longer and eat longer. That was the purpose, one of the purposes of salt. Uh, This is still true in our day. If you guys ever get like a TV dinner or something like that that, you know, you can stick in your freezer for like years before you eat it, check the sodium levels. It still works today. That's that's how you preserve uh, food even in our day. And if salt is a preservative, then I think what Jesus means by this is that we are supposed to live in his kingdom and live on this earth in a way that preserves the earth from spoiling. Just as salt will preserve meat from spoiling, we are the salt of the earth and that we present, we prevent the spoiling of this earth. That it's our job to work with and partner with God to help fight against sin and darkness. Jesus wants to partner with us to eliminate all of the evil in the world. So where we see injustice, oppression, lewdness, brokenness, racism, forgiveness, uh, unforgiveness, hatred, war, division, violence, immorality, God wants to partner with us and use us to bring justice and freedom, holiness, reconciliation, peace, purity, forgiveness, and healing. 
That's what it looks like to partner with God and be the salt of the earth, to be the ones that partner with God to preserve our earth from the sin and darkness that's all around us. And God has gifted each one of us with unique spiritual gifts as well as something I like to call different things that we have a heart for. I call them compassions, probably not the best use of the word, fake word, but we each have different compassions, different things that we have a heart for that God's put in us. And those gifts and those compassions are the ways that we can partner with God in the world to preserve and fight against the enemies of darkness. Your gifts and your compassions, they may direct you to be partners with God among the homeless or among the orphans and the widows or the lonely, the neglected, the immigrants, to prisoners, to ex-convicts, to businesswomen, to soccer moms, to politicians and officials, to neighbors, to classmates, to coworkers. Like those are the people that God has put in your life to be a co-laborer with him in fighting for what is right and what is true in the kingdom of God. God has compassion on all those different places and he wants to use us to be the salt and the preservatives of our culture. That's the first thing, preservative. Second thing is flavor. We all like salt, right? I know you've already added some salt to some of your Thanksgiving meals, right? We all, we all like salt because salt actually makes things taste right and it can make anything taste better, right? You know how easy it is to, to do that. I know like my favorite French fry. Like, can you imagine French fries without salt? Like, you just can't do it. Mine is, uh, my favorite is a Black Star Co-op French fries, just the perfect amount of salt and, and garlic in that case. Perfect cut. We, we love salt, right? I'm a, little bar- I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but back like 20-something years ago, I actually used to compete in bodybuilding contests. Like, like literally, like on stage in a bikini. I have photos to prove it, but it would be completely inappropriate to show right now. <laughs> But one of the things that you have to do leading up to a bodybuilding contest, you have to eliminate all sodium from your diet because sodium is actually what helps you, what stores water, and the water is actually stored between your skin and your muscle. And so what you're trying to do is just eliminate all water weight possible so that your muscles are nice and ripped. Like, yeah, that's what you had to do, right? And so for six weeks, the last six weeks leading up to a contest, you could have no sodium at all. And so I'd have to eat four chicken breasts a day and 10 egg whites a day with only chili powder on them. So I tell you, I'm an expert to say, yes, salt is very good. Salt is important, and it's not fun to go without it for six weeks. I think what Jesus is saying here real clearly, if salt was used to flavor, our work in partnering with God is what we do is we bring the kingdom of God, and we make the world a better place, a more flavorful place, a more tasteful place. God wants to partner with us to help meet the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of people in our lives. He, he wants to work with us to meet the physical, emotional, and spiritual wounds of people and provide the healing that people need. God wants to partner with us to make the world a more flavorful, a better place. Paul picked up on this. The Apostle Paul picked up on the salt metaphor in a way that he described how we're supposed to relate to people outside of the faith that are in our world. In Colossians chapter 4, he says this, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace and seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. In a broken and divisive world that we're in right now, we're supposed to look for the ones that look like it says here, looking for opportunities to be a blessing. We've been blessed so that we can be a blessing to others, be salt and light. And when we speak with others, we should be the ones in Jesus' kingdom when we're living in it who season all of our words with grace, seasoned with salt kind in the way that we respond to people. I know that in today's political, social, religious environment, that's not something that we see very often. But that's what it means to be salt and to be light in our world, having these kind of conversations full of grace. 
So salt, at least these two things, it meant, it meant that we're to preserve the world from evil, just as salt preserves food. We keep the world from spoiling by partnering with God to bring righteousness and justice to the world. And it also serves to be flavorful, that God wants to partner with us to make this world and this earth a better place. Let's think now about light, because Jesus goes on to give another metaphor here. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your God in heaven. So Jesus calls them here the light of the world, a city on the hill, one that can't be hidden. And I think by that, he means that we partner with God to be a light and point people to Jesus, illuminating a path for people to see Jesus. Uh, light's one of the more common metaphors that Jesus used. He actually used it of himself saying, I am, I am the light of the world. As Jesus is saying here, you're the light of the world. Uh, the Apostle John picked up on this in his books. He actually writes a lot about the light and this metaphor. But metaphor simply means that we're meant to illumine away. We're meant to illumine away for people to see Jesus. Uh, I know I actually had perfect eyesight growing up like completely perfect until 45, and then I had to start wearing these things. It's horrible. <laughs> I, couldn't, I can't see things unless there's light in front of me. I have to print my notes on 14-point font. It's horrible. <laughs> it's so bad. I was actually uh, at Central Market working on this uh, sermon, and my, my have a friend that has a daughter at UT who, who she studies there a lot. So she walked up to me, and we were talking, and my phone actually went off, and a little text message, and she said, yeah, my dad uses that font on his text messages. It's like, come on, man. That's so rude. But yes, and I find actually that one thing that I can do, though, is I can actually read my phone perfectly when I'm outside in the sun, because when things are illumined, you can see clearly. And that's really what Jesus means by being the light of the world, that we get to help people clearly see Jesus. We need light to see, and we live as a light to let our light shine so that other people can see Jesus through us. This gives us incredible meaning and purpose. I hope you're feeling that. I want you to walk away today with incredible meaning and purpose to think that God wants to partner with you to be a light to this world. Incredible meaning, eternal purpose. Apostle Peter, uh, one of Jesus' followers that was hearing this sermon on that day, he picked up on this, and one of the books that he's writing to a church is he says something very similar about the light. We'll read from 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you into dark, uh, out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from the sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Going back to verse 9 and 10, it's the same thing. He starts by their identity. You are chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're my special possession. I've called you. You're my people. For what purpose? That you can declare the praises of God. You've been blessed to be a blessing. Blessed people, blessed people. He's going to describe actually how they do that. The way that they do that is actually by abstaining from the sinful desires of the world. That one of the ways that their light shines is by living differently than the way that the world does. That people are meant to see our lives distinct. They're supposed to see our lives transform and change. And when they do, that's a testament to them. Even if they don't agree with us, it brings glory to God. In our world, we should stand out in the way that we use our money. In the way that we have our whole our sexual ethic. And how we have our marriages 
and the kind of entertainment that we consume and, and how we spend our time, how we use our homes, our work ethic, our business practices, the different types of people that we associate with, and most of all, how we love. We're supposed to live in such a way that people see Jesus in us. And I can't get into it, but the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is going to actually describe how that happens. And so stick with us through this whole series because now Jesus is going to say, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Now I'm going to teach you how to live in a kingdom in such a way that your life will be a light because you're going to live so differently than the rest of the world. Peter actually drew the same conclusion that Jesus did in the passage we're reading today, that the result of this would be that people would see your good works and then they glorify God. That's what we're meant to be doing in the world, partnering with God. And when people see it, they're going to glorify God. They're going to see who Jesus is. It's, it's kind of like we're onto something with this new midtown vision that says as we become more like Jesus, Austin becomes a lot more like heaven. It means something. That's what Jesus says we're called to do here. So in this Sermon on the Mount, this kingdom manifesto, he begins by telling people what kind of people are blessed. And now he's telling them you are blessed for the purpose of being a blessing. Blessed people, blessed people, and you have eternal meaning and purpose in your life as you partner with me to be salt and light in the world. It's like Jesus is sending us out as his ambassadors, or a word that I uh, heard one time that helped really make this clear to me is the word viceroy. It's viceroy, you know, not a word that we use much in our day, but they used it a lot in their day, and it simply means this. I think we have a definition up here. A ruler exercising authority in a colony on behalf of a sovereign really taken from two words, combining vice in the place of a roy, royalty. Like, this is who we are. Jesus is sending us out as his people. He's the king of the kingdom, but he uses us and sends us out as salt and the light that we can establish his rule, his reign in the little colonies of our lives. What an incredible honor. I want you to feel the weight of that honor, but also I want you to recognize the responsibility that comes with it. Because in this passage, in this, these things that Jesus says about being salt on the earth, he also very clearly says that salt can be useful or it can be useless. Light can be useful or it can be useless. You heard it if you remember in the passage, right? With a salt, he said this. Salt, he said, can lose its saltiness, making us unworthy and just being thrown and trampled. Salt can be useful or it can be useless. And with light, he said, we can also just cover up our light with a bowl and then it becomes useless, rather than useful. I started thinking this way, uh, thinking about it this week. If Jesus was on the mountainside teaching them that they were salt and light, but they had to use it so that it didn't become useless, what are the things that they were struggling with? And they had things that Jesus was warning them to, to bear this responsibility well. What would be the things in our day? I spent some time in prayer, and I came up with just a few ideas that I think are the ways that we actually move from being useful as salt and light to being useless. As much dignity and purpose as we have, as meaning that's offered to us, we often get off track a little bit. And I just want to mention four possible ways, and maybe God will speak to you through one of these. First is what I call mistaken identity. What I mean by mistaken identity is sometimes people just don't believe that they are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Like they don't receive. Notice Jesus didn't say you will become or one day you'll be. He said you are. Like sometimes we just don't believe that about ourselves. Sometimes we actually think that it's the job of someone like Jake or I. It's the job of the pastors, the professionals. They're the ones that are supposed to do all the salt and light stuff. I just need to give money or something like that. Not at all. You're not accepting the identity that Jesus has put in you. You are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Or oftentimes people just don't believe that God can use them. Like they look at their gifts or they think about their personality. Or they think about who they are and they just think, well, 
I don't really have what it takes. And guys, that couldn't be further from the truth. But God has created you to be his image bearers, to have a relationship with him and to partner with him in the world, no matter your spiritual gifts. Yes, some people do have a spiritual gift of evangelism, but all the spiritual gifts can be used evangelistically. You have gifts like mercy or service or hospitality or teaching, encouragement, prophecy, giving, wisdom, discernment. All of those can be used as salt and light wherever God has you because he's made you the way that he has. But one of the ways that we lose our saltiness, one of the ways that we cover our lamp is by mistaking our identity and not believing who God says we are. Let's not let that happen to us. Let's embrace our identity as salt and light and help each other live into it. Another way that I see us cover our lamps or lose our saltiness is by becoming worldly, worldliness. By worldliness, I mean we can get caught up in the world, get caught up in sin and the distractions of this life, like the passage that Peter said, that your distinction is by abstaining from the sinful things that come against us. But if we become just like the world, we lose our distinctiveness, we lose our saltiness. We cover our lamps when we become like the world. And it's not just sinful things. It can be morally neutral things. I like the way that Hebrews talks about throwing off sin and things that easily entangle us. It can be morally neutral things that just suck up our time or the insatiable amount of entertainment and opportunities that we have. And we just get caught up in us doing the things that the world does and we fail, fail to take on the responsibility of living as salt and light. Another way that we lose our saltiness is to cover our lamp is by becoming like the world rather than maintaining distinction from it. A third way I thought of this week that we cover our lamps, we lose our saltiness as we get sidetracked. By sidetracked, I mean that we often confuse the kingdom of God with the kingdom of the world. In our day, uh, like the people that missed Jesus in that day, they wanted a, a kingdom to come and rule with power. And sometimes we can get caught up in trying to work with the ways of the world rather than remember that this is a spiritual kingdom that we're talking about. In our culture, one of the ways that salt and light, uh, we lose our salt and our light is by confusing the kingdom of God with the culture wars around us. Paul was very clear in Ephesians when he says that we don't fight against uh, earthly powers. He was very clear when he spoke to the Corinthians that we don't use the weapons of the world. And I've seen far too often where Christians aiming to be salt and light end up damaging their witness because they end up fighting the wrong battles. They end up using the wrong weapons and they align with the wrong people, the kingdom of the world rather than the kingdom of God. And again, so much can be said. You're going to stick with us because you're going to see this played out through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is going to teach us how to love our enemies, to to not judge lest we be judged, or to turn the other cheek. You're going to see it play out through the rest of the sermon. He's going to teach you how to live in this new kingdom way that doesn't get sidetracked and overtaken by powers rather than focusing on the spiritual. So another way we lose our saltiness is by covering up our, or covering up our light is by getting sidetracked with culture wars and fighting by the ways of the world. And a fourth one that I thought of this week that I think is pretty commonplace is by having temporary thinking. What I mean by temporary thinking is we often fail to live with an eternal perspective. The busyness of life, family, the American dream, it can all cause us to lose our saltiness and cover our lights because in our culture, it's a rat race. And we get sucked into just running the rat race and par- trying to become busier and busier and more successful. Without knowing it, we can gradually make career attainment, financial security, romantic relationships, or our kids' success the top priority instead of living with eternal things in mind, like expanding the kingdom of God on earth and living like salt and light. 
I don't know if those four ways were helpful, but those are four ways that I think you could probably add to that list. But the question would be, what are ways that we actually, in our day and age, are tempted, or ways that we start to lose our saltiness, or ways that we start to cover our lights? It's this great honor that God gives us to partner with Him in the world, but it also bears a great responsibility that we can't take lightly and we can't cover it up. We can't lose our saltiness. I'd like to close by considering one more thing regarding salt. What do you do with salt when you're eating? You sprinkle it, right? I don't know if you've ever had the unfortunate accident or had the prank pulled on you, which, yes, I've done this to people, where you kind of just undo the salt lid, and then when they dump it, like, it just all dumps out on their plate. Like, you can't, you can't undo that. Like, you can't continue to eat, right? Because we all know salt is meant to be lightly sprinkled around. And I think that maybe one of the reasons Jesus used this, this illustration was to say that when you're talking about salt and light, like, you are sprinkled all around the earth, the salt of the earth would be sprinkled everywhere. Y'all have heard me say this often, but on Sundays, like we're here together, this is the church gathered one day a week, a couple hours a week. But we do it in our midtown communities and other occasions too, we gather. But for the bulk of our life, we're, we're the church scattered. God has placed us in all kinds of strategic places all throughout the city. We all have different families, different friends, coworkers, classmates, playmates. We're scattered all across the city of Austin, and God does this with a purpose because that's where he wants to use you as salt and light. That's where he wants to partner with you among those people. I have people in my lives that you guys don't even know. I've got people in my lives that I can reach that you have no chance of reaching to be salt and light with. But the opposite is true of you, as it is with me and everyone else in this room. When we're the church scattered throughout the city, that's the place where God wants us to be salt and light. It's very important that we don't think of this Sunday morning gathering being the place the only place that God wants us to use us because he wants you to be a salt and light out in the earth sprinkled all over the city of Austin. That's why at Midtown, if you want to become a partner, we've been naming some partners the last couple of weeks and one of the things you have to do to become a partner is we, we ask you to list like who are people that you feel like God has called you to be salt and light to? Who are the people that you have said, I've been blessed to bless these people? And we want all people in Midtown to take that responsibility and think about who is it? Like who are the people that God's placed me around? And for most of us, it's like where we live, work, or play. Those are the primary spheres of our life, like where we live, your neighborhood, your apartment complex, where you work, or students, where you have classes, or where you play, other extracurricular things that you might be involved in. Like those are the places that we need to take on this idea of being God's salt and light scattered around the city. So let me ask you, who is that for you? Let God draw some people to mind right now. Like when you are scattered throughout the city like salt, who are the people that you get to be that bring the flavor and the blessing of God to in our city? Or maybe another way is to ask, where has God given you compassion? When I talked about having compassion, so where are the people that you just have a heart for? Maybe it's outside of the scope of where you live, work, or play, but you know that God's put a burden on you for a specific part of the city, a specific people in the city. And you know you're called to be salt and light to those people. If you can answer those questions, I invite you, to take on the identity that Jesus gave his disciples and he gives us today. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, scattered throughout our city. I think if we identify these questions and begin to partner with Jesus to extend the kingdom of God this way, we can see Austin become more like heaven. That is our big prayer for our city, in Austin as it, in, as it is in heaven. May God give us conviction and courage to live as salt and light, scattered throughout our city and to fight against all the temptations that make us want to cover up our light or lose our saltiness. 
Let me close this in prayer, and then we'll have some time of communion. Jesus, you are our king, and we do want to live under your rule and your reign. We want to partner with you and bring your kind of rule and reign in Austin. Thank you, Father, for blessing us. May we seek to be then a blessing to other people. Uh, We do repent for ways that we've lost our saltiness, ways that we've covered our lamps. We ask that you renew a desire in us to be salt and light in our city. We do pray that our good works of blessing people would bring glory to you and cause more people to enter the kingdom. In Austin as it is in heaven, this is our prayer. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.